This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. I don't mean to start on a derogatory note, but I would like to list for you now the top 20 worst Red Hot Chili Peppers song titles. Not songs, song titles. Some of these songs are pretty good, but the song titles are, let's say, excessively virile. And as such, they're often quite embarrassing to say out loud, if you're me saying them out loud into this microphone, for a recording that might then be heard by strangers, or for that matter, heard by my mother. Weird decision by me to start this like this. Red Hot Chili Peppers formed in Los Angeles, California, the city they live in, the city of angels in 1983. Yeah. Want to feel old? Try being in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Funk metal, rap rock, alternative, punk. Who are these guys? What are these guys? Unembarrassed. That's what these guys are. Naked on album covers or on magazine covers or on stage. Other than the socks, on their penises. Macho is all hell, but with semi-benign, neo-hippie, wibbity-wabbity undertones. Flower children with erections lasting longer than four hours. Carefree Lakers fans who occasionally struggle with life-threatening, and in one case, life-ending, drug addictions. They contain multitudes. Multitudes of guitarists, for one thing. These fellas got away with words, an excessively virile way with words. There's a devil in their dicks and some demons in their semen. Okay, top 20 worst Red Hot Chili Peppers song titles. I wrote a thing about the span a couple years back and re-listened to their entire catalog and had a great time, actually, but I also compiled this list. Top 20, so in ascending order of badness, or really it's just unembarrassedness. Good for them, bad for me. Here we go. Number 20, Funky Crime. Number 19, Even You, Brutus. Number 18, Get On Top. Number 17, Shallow Be Thy Game. Number 16, Lovin' and Touchin'. Number 15, Sir Psycho Sexy. We'll get back to Sir Psycho Sexy. I have thoughts, not impure thoughts. Regular thoughts. Number 14, Ethiopia. Number 13, Suck My Kiss. Great song. We'll get back to Suck My Kiss as well. Number 12, No Chump Love Sucker. Number 11, She's Only 18. The fellas in the Red Hot Chili Peppers were roughly in their mid-40s when She's Only 18 came out. Just for your reference. Number 10, Grand Pappy Do Plenty. Number 9, Funky Monks. Number 8, Skinny Sweaty Man. It gets much gnarlier from here. At this point, I'd like that voice modulation deal that people in the witness protection program get to use when they appear in true crime documentaries. Number seven, Catholic school girls rule. Number six, party on your pussy. Oh, God. Okay. Number five, sex rap. Number four, stone cold bush. Number three, sexy Mexican maid. Number two, Fela's cock. Look it up, but not on my computer. And finally, number one, Humpty Bump. Great trumpet line on Humpty Bump, if we're being honest. Humpty Bump appeared on the 2006 Red Hot Chili Peppers double album Stadium Arcadium, along with She's Only 18 and 26 other songs spanning more than two hours. Let's back up. Let's regroup. My name is Rob Harvilla. This is 60 songs that explain the 90s. Soon I will be entering the witness protection program due to embarrassment. But today we're talking Under the Bridge. And also Sir Psycho Sexy, but primarily Under the Bridge. Crown jewel of 1991's mighty blood sugar sex magic. 
which also features Sir Psycho Sexy. That album is, in turn, the crown jewel of the fearsome Red Hot Chili Peppers discography, which now spans 35-plus years. Under the Bridge is the band's highest-charting single ever. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, bested only by Criss Cross's Jump. Fair enough. That's a very pleasing one-two punch. Actually, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were already battle-scarred veterans by 1991. In 1992, they put out their first Greatest Hits compilation, which, other than Under the Bridge, concentrated on the four albums that preceded Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Grizzled veterans, these guys. The Aerosmiths of alternative rock. Don't overthink it. Grizzled veterans who'd sustained casualties. So, 1983, City of Angels. Anthony Kiedis is your frontman. Not a great singer per se, but a phenomenal frontman, in large part because he doesn't give a shit that he's not a great singer, per se. His not great singing is a feature, not a bug. Speaking of bugs, Michael Peter Balzeri, known unprofessionally as Flea, is your bass player. Most influential and adored bass player of his generation, unless you're way too into Primus, yes. From there, the Red Hot Chili Peppers lineup gets chaotic, immediately and to some extent permanently, which is to say founding guitarist Hillel Slovak and founding drummer Jack Irons quit immediately, though both would be back. But instead, the band's debut album, 1984's Red Hot Chili Peppers, features drummer Cliff Martinez, the film score guy now, you know, Drive and Spring Breakers and Game Night, and guitarist Jack Sherman on the song Out in L.A. Here's what Jack Sherman sounds like. Oof. The Tin Can production on the first Red Hot Chili Peppers record is a deal breaker. Fun fact, Alexander Graham Bell, when he made the very first phone call in 1876, also in that very moment produced the first Red Hot Chili Peppers record by recording it over the phone in the 19th century. The album was actually produced by Andy Gill from Punk Funk God's Gang of Four. You can't win them all. Okay, lineup change. Jack Sherman's out. Hillel Slovak's back in. Here's what Hillel Slovak sounds like. That's on a song called Nevermind, just FYI. So, 1985's Freaky Styly is produced by George Clinton, who is quite an upgrade from Alexander Graham Bell, I must say. Freaky Styly features stupendous James Brown and P-Funk collaborators Maceo Parker and Fred Wesley on saxophone and trombone, respectively. Freaky Styly features wily covers of songs by The Meters and Sly and the Family Stone and uh, Dr. Seuss. Do you know this band Fishbone? I sure hope you do. Phenomenal band, also from L.A. Also nigh-unclassifiable funk metal, rap rock, punk ska, etc. Fishbone also put out their first records in the mid-80s. Fishbone also put out their biggest album in 1991 called The Reality of My Surroundings, a fantastic record that did not generate a number two crossover pop hit. The dudes in Fishbone are black. They got a song, it's from 1988, called Subliminal Fascism, which is... Uh, might might be worth revisiting now. In 2017, Fishbone bassist Norwood Fisher put it this way. If we were white, we would be hailed as the next Beatles. Here's another enduring Fishbone tune from 1988 called, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers are still pissed they didn't think of this title first, Bonin' in the Boneyard. Now, you either got the knack for writing a career-making crossover pop hit or you don't. You either get a career-making crossover pop hit or you don't. It's a crapshoot, really. But Fishbone are a classic should-have-gotten-way-bigger-than-they-got situation. That's the theme of a 2010 documentary called Everyday Sunshine, the story of Fishbone. Everyday Sunshine being a Fishbone song bursting with pop crossover potential. Gwen Stefani's in this movie. George Clinton's in it. Ice-T's in it. And there's our friend Flea. Praising Fishbone to the Skies. Flea is wearing a shirt and pants in this interview, uncharacteristically, though I do believe he is barefoot. Fishbone opened a bunch of shows for the Red Hot Chili Peppers starting in the mid-80s. They're friends. They're mutual admirers. Flea, in the movie, says, Norwood is an outstanding bass player with a unique style that I've stolen a lot from. 
He calls Norwood a backbone of solidness who's totally connected to the earth. No greater praise from Flea. There are remarkable parallels between these two bands. There are also remarkable divergences with regards to fame and fortune and so forth. Can you picture Fishbone enjoying 100% of the Red Hot Chili Peppers' success? Maybe not. Fishbone get pretty out there, proudly, jubilantly, defiantly. But in a just world, could Fishbone have enjoyed 70% of the Red Hot Chili Peppers' success or even like 30%? That would have been great. That would have been justified. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, for the record, have always struck me as enormously and endearingly sincere and infectious and generous in their enthusiasms and honest about what they owe to soul and funk and rap and reggae and effusive in their praise for the artists who influenced them. The Red Hot Chili Peppers have done legitimately great and infectiously enthusiastic covers of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground and the Ohio Players' Love Roller Coaster. Artists steal from other artists. That's what art is. White artists, sometimes with great reverence, steal from black artists. That's what a lot of art is. You can't rightly blame the Red Hot Chili Peppers for being hugely successful, or more to the point, blame them for Fishbone not being so successful. Still, all that said, it's a little worrisome, perhaps, that the first song on Freaky Styley is called Jungle Man. But don't worry, it's on topic. The last line of the chorus is, I get all the bush I can lineup change. Cliff Martinez is out. Uh, Traffic and Sex Lies and Videotape. Cliff did the score for those movies too. Jack Irons, the Red Hot Chili Peppers old drummer, is now their new drummer. Hillel Slovak is still your guitarist though, and on 1987's The Uplift Mofo Party Plan, on the song Fight Like a Brave, he sounds like this. Drugs were central to the Red Hot Chili Peppers experience from the beginning. They could help you feel connected to the earth. They could help you leave it. What's the Homer Simpson line about alcohol? The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Anthony Kiedis wrote a memoir, came out in 2004, called Scar Tissue. He writes about being so fucked up on heroin that Flea threatened to quit the band right after the band first got their record deal. And Anthony's pleading with Flea to stick around, and he says, Flea, you can't quit. I'm going to be the James Brown of the 80s. Later, the band kicked Anthony Kiedis out briefly for being too fucked up on heroin to function. That was not rock bottom for him or for the band. Rock bottom was when Hillel Slovak died of a heroin overdose on June 25th, 1988. There's a quite moving scene in Scar Tissue, the book, where Anthony visits Hillel's grave and talks to Hillel at his grave and starts weeping. Lineup change. Jack Irons quits saying he didn't want to be in a band where his friends were dying. New drummer, Chad Smith. Chad Smith's in it for the long haul. Chad Smith looks disconcertingly like Will Ferrell. It's incredible. They were on Jimmy Fallon once together. It's a whole bit. Anyway, new guitarist, John Frusciante. John Frusciante is not in it for the long haul technically, but he is currently in the band. Put it that way. Next record is 1989's Mother's Milk. On the cover of Mother's Milk, the guys are, you know what, forget it. John Frusciante... Sounds like this. That's from a song called Magic Johnson, Relax. It's about the basketball player. Mother's Milk was the band's first gold record, 500,000 copies sold in the U.S., Mother's Milk has that pretty rad cover of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground on it. But most importantly, for our purposes, Mother's Milk has a song called Knock Me Down, which is about Hillel Slovak, and sounds like a typical raucous and virile Red Hot Chili Peppers jam, and yet is about pain and grieving and healing and talking about all of that. Don't be afraid to show your friends that you This song is ground zero for the idea that Anthony Kiedis is a phenomenal frontman, despite being a less than phenomenal singer. Conveying the sentiment will always be more important than carrying the tune. The Red Hot Chili Peppers lineup has gelled. 
For now, their star is ascending. Anthony Kiedis did not become the James Brown of the 80s, but perhaps his band can become the Parliament Funkadelic and the Stooges and the Ohio Players and the Gang of Four and the Sly and the Family Stone and the Meters and the Dr. Seuss of the 90s. You know what these guys need, though? A producer, a super producer, a guru. A funky monk, a guy in dark sunglasses and an Old Testament beard with legit rap rock cred. And so here we have Flea agonizing over the bass fills on a new Red Hot Chili Peppers song called Give It Away, but receiving invaluable guidance from the one, the only Rick Rubin, who among his many other talents is pretty good at imitating bass fills with his mouth. That should be the vibe, like what you just... Yeah. It is so hard because there's so little time in each thing. But just keep them really simple. Bottom, bottom. Okay. Uh, bottom. Okay. Top bottom. or bottom. From, from a top, from a top. Mix them up, but keep it really simple. Don't go too noty. Don't get too noty. The Rick Rubin story. That exchange Actually, Funky Monks, the movie, concerns the making of the mighty 1991 Red Hot Chili Peppers breakthrough album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Magic with a K, produced by Rick Rubin, Long Island's finest, co-founded Def Jam Records. By this point, he'd worked with the Beastie Boys and LL Cool J and Public Enemy and Slayer and Run DMC and the Ghetto Boys and the Black Crows. Here we go. While I am not actively listening... To Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I will concede that it's one of the 100 most important albums of the 90s. When I am actively listening to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I am also chasing strangers down the street, either on foot or on a riding lawnmower, to inform them that it's the best album ever made. I once referred to Blood Sugar Sex Magic in print as a raucous Mountain Dew enema. Do I regret saying this? Well, I just said it again, so clearly I don't. I enjoy myself tremendously every time I listen to this album, and I am surprised every time by the tremendousness of my enjoyment. It's bizarre. I perpetually badly underrate it. I like it way more than I think I like it, if that makes any sense. It doesn't do the lyrical sentiments of Anthony Kiedis. Five albums into his career make sense. They don't. He somehow makes even less sense when he is basically making sense, if that makes any sense. Anyways, within 30 seconds of hitting play on Blood Sugar Sex Magic, on the opening track, The Power of Equality, Anthony is lovingly, endearingly imitating Public Enemy's Chuck D. On track two, if you have to ask, within 10 seconds, he is lovingly, endearingly imitating Rakim. A backed up paddy wagon macking on a cat's ass. That's the good stuff. But on track three, Breaking the Girl, he is imitating nobody but himself. Great song. Breaking the Girl, rowdy acoustic guitar, rolling drums, flutes, and Anthony Kiedis singing the word girl as only he can, or really, Anthony Kiedis singing the word girl as only he can get away with. She was a girl, so as for Suck My Kiss, great song. Suck my kiss. Let's ditch the acoustic guitar and crank up the virility by, uh, say, 7,000%. I will say this. If you first heard this song at 12 years old, this is hypothetical, and you hadn't yet managed to kiss a girl or a boy, this song could leave you really confused about the physical logistics of kissing or like the goal of kissing. Give to me, sweet, 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 to suck my kiss. As for the song Blood Sugar Sex Magic, it doesn't appear to be about blood, sugar, or magic. If you have to change the pronunciation of Aphrodite to Aphrodite to make it rhyme with copulate to create a state of sexual light, then that's what you do. Kiss 
kissing her virginity. They should have just handed out this album in health class. During the second verse of Mellowship Slinky in B Major, great title, Anthony Kiedis rhymes Mark Twain with Duke of My Domain, rhymes Truman Capote with World of the Wild Coyote, and rhymes Bukowski with I Lost My House Key. Furthermore, Cock my brain to shoot my load. The Anthony Kiedis story. The song Apache Rose Peacock is set in New Orleans. It's flirtatious. A little boy came along. A name of Louis. Oh, I'm strong. Except that girl who left me silly. She liked the look of me and my willie. Shout out to whoever's banging on a toy piano as Louis Armstrong is summoned to deliver the line, She liked the looks of me and my willie. Look, he contains multitudes of thoughts and also of loads. The first single off Blood Sugar Sex Magic is called Give It Away. Incredible bass fills. On Give It Away, the bass fills go ba-dum, ba-da-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum-bum. Incredible. Give It Away is about giving away your possessions to achieve true happiness and enlightenment. I'm serious. He's serious. Or maybe it's also a little bit about shooting your load. You got to love the bing bong, bing bong action throughout this entire song. Just an avalanche of emotional and sexual and intellectual and musical information bearing down on you during Give It Away. The breakneck pivot from my mom, I love her because she loved me. Long gone are the times when she scrubbed me to drink my juice, young love, chug-a-lug me is breathtaking. The Red Hot Chili Peppers did give it away at the 1992 MTV Video Music Awards with like 50 fans running on stage to jump around or mosh, whatever we kids were calling it. And it sure seemed to me at home at the time like all those people had already managed to kiss someone. This is my second most vivid memory involving MTV in the song, Give It Away. The closest I have ever been to death in my life was late one night in 1993 or so when I was watching MTV and the video for Weird Al Yankovic's Bedrock Anthem came on. Bedrock Anthem being a parody of Give It Away, set in the world of the Flintstones and mimicking the Give It Away video exactly. The silver paint, the wanton shirtlessness. And I just about fucking died laughing. Bonnie Rubber laughing like a hyena. Bonnie Rubber, what a little wiener. Where's Wilma? Anybody seen her? Got a baby elephant vacuum cleaner. So that's the vibe on Blood Sugar Sex Magic and a sense of what the vibe of Blood Sugar Sex Magic wrought. The semi-pornographic philosophy, the comically extravagant hedonism, the bonkers profundity. This record is, in every sense you can imagine, noty. It's a lot. It's all you can take. It's all you can give away. But its true legacy comes down to one guitar riff. John Frusciante, even at his mellowest and most contemplative, just sounds like he enjoys playing guitar and like you're supposed to enjoy listening to him playing guitar. The Under the Bridge riff sounds to me like a lonely kid scrambling up and down and over and around a bunch of playground equipment alone and feeling alone. But that doot-doot-doot-doot action between chords puts a bounce in this song's step even amid the arresting stillness of it. The super macho alt-rock guitar gods of the early 90s, Mike McCready, Kim Tail, Jerry Cantrell, even Kirk Cobain when he got the urge, were fantastic, but most of the time, boy, were they serious and snarling and grouchy and other macho-type words. Tom Morello had a buoyancy to him, but Rage Against the Machine didn't do mellow. Billy Corgan had a sense of playfulness to him, but also he was grouchier than all those other dudes put together. But if we're talking buoyancy and playfulness, Frusciante stands alone for me. He has come to save us from all the derogatory aspects of the word funky. He has come to radiate funkiness throughout Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And bizarrely for me, he gets funkier on the ballads, on the downcast songs. His solo on I Could Have Lied was a revelation for me. Specifically, a revelation that I couldn't learn to play guitar like him even if I learned the notes he was playing. 
His guitar sings better than Anthony Kiedis sings. Did you know I Could Have Lied is about Anthony's doomed romantic relationship with Sinead O'Connor? Huh. Anyway, whatever the words mellowship slinky are supposed to mean, John Frusciante personifies the words mellowship slinky. He makes those words aspirational. But Under the Bridge is where everything comes together. The Red Hot Chili Peppers collision course with true pop stardom. John Frusciante's funky monkdom. Flea's ability to play the bass like Bootsy Collins even on a power ballad. But mostly this is about Anthony Kiedis trying to stay clean after watching his guitarist and friend die of an overdose. Feeling alienated because his new guitarist and his longtime bassist have now bonded over drugs. Marijuana, more so than heroin, but still now he feels alienated from his friends, from his own band. He's remembering personal relationships he destroyed back when he was on drugs, including with the actress Ione Skye. One day, Anthony has a bad day. The other guys, John Frusciante especially, are ignoring him. All this wreckage is sloshing around in his head. And here's what he writes a decade or so later in the book Scar Tissue. I rode home from rehearsal that day on the 101 freeway, and my sense of loss about John... And the loneliness that I was feeling triggered memories of my time with Ione and how I'd had this beautiful angel of a girl who was willing to give me all of her love. And instead of embracing that, I was downtown with fucking gangsters shooting speedballs under a bridge. I felt I had thrown away so much in my life, but I also felt an unspoken bond between me and my city. Then he wrote a poem about it. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. Sometimes I feel like my only friend. Turns out Anthony Kiedis is the lonely kid bouncing around the playground. The playground is L.A. Is the city I live in the city of angels? Lonely as I am, together we So Rick Rubin stumbles across this poem about Anthony's loneliness, and he goads Anthony into bringing it to the band and the guys in the band, who are principally responsible for Anthony's loneliness, help him turn that poem about his loneliness into the band's signature song. I'm guessing drummers hate power ballads, but even Chad Smith's hi-hat there somehow conveys a mellow funkiness. This is a band that's stolen so many types of funkiness from so many funky people at this point that all that funkiness truly belongs to them now. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Self-possession is nine-tenths of true funkiness. I'm running a little short on time here, so while I'm already embarrassing the bejesus out of myself, I might as well just recite lyrics from Sir Psycho Sexy as we wrap this up. Sir Psycho Sexy is just Anthony Kiedis setting his own personal, fantastical penthouse forum letters to music. The triumph, ultimately, of blood sugar sex magic is that the pornography meshed seamlessly with the goofball philosophy, which meshed seamlessly with the exquisite melancholy. He's sad, he's horny, he's sorry, he's hornier, he's lonely but grateful for his city, if nothing else, he's horniest. The first verse of Sir Psycho Sexy is a cinematic depiction of the Book of Genesis airing on Cinemax at two in the morning. Deep inside the Garden of Eden, standing there with my heart on bleeding, there's a devil in my dick and some demons in my semen. Good God, no, that would be treason. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Red Hot Chili Peppers have been chasing the dragon of Under the Bridge for the past 30 years, and they catch it sometimes, or catch a glimpse of it. My Friends, off 1995's One Hot Minute, I love that song. A worthy sequel to Under the Bridge, only a slight downgrade. The Hot Shots Part Due of Power Ballads. John Frusciante had bailed, not for the last time. Dave Navarro was the guitarist now for this one album. You know what Dave sounds like. People don't seem to like One Hot Minute but I do. As a still romantically inept 17-year-old, I tried to learn the guitar solo to my friends, and I fucking nailed it, actually. The guy who gave me guitar lessons in a strip mall paid me. I nailed it so hard. Speaking of nailing it so hard, believe me, Eve, she gave good reason. Booty looking too good not to be squeezing. Creamy beaver hotter than a fever. I'm a given because she's the receiver. Californication, the band's 1999 album. People seem to like that one way more. It's their second best-selling album after Blood Sugar Sex Magic. John Frusciante was back. He'd leave again and come back again, but he's back now. This is the record with Scar Tissue, the song, another fine Under the Bridge rewrite, the Naked Gun 33 and a third of Power Ballads, but also Californication, the song, and Other Side. Downcast jams graced by the pensive but still virile elder statesman vibe that's been the Red Hot Chili Peppers sweet spot for the past 20 years. Why don't you chase that Zoloft with a Viagra? When the god-tier rock critic Robert Criscow reviewed Californication, in a manner of speaking, he called the band New Age Fuck Fiends. That's why he's the best. Speaking of which, back to Sir Psycho Sexy, we're out of the Garden of Eden and back in the modern day now, and Anthony Kiedis just got pulled over by a lady cop. That cop, she was all dressed in blue. Was she pretty? Boy, I'm telling you. She stuck my butt with her big black stick. I said, what's up? Now suck my dick. Don't say that to a cop. Ever. Don't say that out loud. Ever. Whose idea was this? What happened here? I will never get tired of telling the story about how my wife tells the story about going to a teenage sleepover and her friend had a VHS recording of the Under the Bridge video and this girl would rewind and rewatch the end of the video where Anthony Kiedis sprints shirtless in slow motion and the girl's face would be right next to the television. We are all managing our loneliness and our abject horniness as best we can. Last one of these. Propping her up on the black and white, unzipped and slipped. Ooh, that's tight. I swatted her like no SWAT team can. Turned a cherry pie right into jam. You may never feel comfortable enough to sprint anywhere shirtless. You may never feel comfortable enough to call a song Sexy Mexican Maid. You may never learn to play slap bass. You may never fantasize about having sex with Eve or Adam in the Garden of Eden. You may never try heroin. You may never try to stop trying heroin. You may never be able to sing as well as, let me rephrase that. Your singing voice may never have the preapic, amelodic gravitas of Anthony Kiedis's singing voice. It helps if you love them, but you don't have to love the Red Hot Chili Peppers to live vicariously through them, to mope and mourn and party and lust through them. They are here to help you on your journey, to wherever you're going, in whatever mood, at whatever speed. And when you see only one set of footprints in the sand, that's when they propped you up on the black and white and boned you in the boneyard. Our guest today is John Moe, host of the Maximum Fun podcast, Depression Mode, and author of the book, The Hilarious World of Depression. Thank you so much for being here today, John. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. 
Of course. Uh, so every guest who comes on this show beforehand, I ask, like, what do you like about this song? What do you want to talk about? And usually I get a couple sentences in uh. reply, which is totally cool. I asked you what drew you to Under the Bridge, and you sent me a 1,500-word email, <laughs> which is the most <laughs> engrossing email I've received in several years. So yeah. thank you, first of all, for that. It was a wild ride, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, so I, who, who would know that the mental health podcast hosts would have issues? <laughs> and specifically red hot chili peppers based issues it's just absolutely yeah. fantastic so as an entry point here my understanding is that under the bridge is the song that basically convinced you to quit grad school do i have this right yeah in fact you do i was i was in graduate school in an mfa acting program and uh was finding myself frustrated was finding myself perhaps not as good at acting as I thought I maybe was, and mm. also in New Jersey. And, I, and I'm oh. from Seattle. I'm from the complete opposite coast, and it was wearing down on me. It was a, a program that uh, it, kind of a drill sergeant approach, like we'll, mm. we'll humiliate you and tear you down and then build you up as an artist. And oh, it just didn't, didn't take, and it just chafed. And, and like every day was a new set of humiliations. And then... I'd taken to hanging out in this Hungarian bar in New Brunswick, New Jersey with sure. my friends. And one night that video comes on for Under the Bridge. <laughs> the the Anthony kind of belaboredly running in oh, without yes. a shirt there, he's on. Running somewhere. It's very important wherever it's he's going. Very important. He's, he's got to get to the camera. And uh, he's singing about <laughs> how I don't ever want to feel like I did that day. Take right. me to the place I love. Take me all the way. And, and I was thinking, I got to get out of this place. I got to mm. go back to the West Coast. I This isn't working. There are so many feelings that I never wanted to feel again that were happening on a daily basis. Right. And what had happened was I had been dealing with major depressive disorder since about the age of 12. So at this point, I'm like 22, 23. It's still going to be another 10 years before it's diagnosed that this yeah. is the thing actually happening. And so when you're in one of those holes, you don't think, oh, I have control over this. I can go do a better thing. You just think, well, I've been placed here yeah. and here I must remain. And Anthony Kiedis was the one who said, Maybe you could be taken somewhere else. Get Maybe out. you don't have to feel like this. Maybe you could just get out. And I metaphorically ran, but with a shirt on, <laughs> away from that place. Back across the country. Yeah. X yeah. thousands of miles from New Jersey to Seattle. That's and I might have done it anyway, but the Red Hots were the ones that put me over the top and actually made me pull the trigger. And it was... It was the absolute right move to make. And so so thank you, Anthony. Yeah. Prior to this, did you self-identify as a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, per se? I, I would say, yeah. I would say I was a fan. Um, I was introduced to them, you know, a few years before in, in regular college by mm. my friend Tina, who who had, like, the first three albums. This was before uh. Mother's Milk came out. This was... Freaky styly, mm -hmm. total uplift mofo party plan. Yeah, this is the punk funk stuff. Yes. This was yes. the punk funk and and it was very appealing because those guys were just bonkers. And they were they were <laughs> completely that's that's a mental I health term. I love that word. I love the word bonkers so much. <laughs> this that's was the, the only era, word to describe it. This was the era of Flea's uh, stuffed animal pants that he wore. Oh yeah, from the Bust a Move video. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. And like they represented a, a lot of freedom to me. Like I liked the sure. funk. I liked the sound. I liked the the kind of franticness of it. But it was more the energy of it that that was mm -hmm. getting to me than a deep appreciation of the subtleties of of. Uh, <laughs> the notes and and the tempos sure. yeah i mean they had a song called party on your pussy they which sure did i'm still embarrassed to say out loud and i'm 52 thank you for <laughs> saying it out loud yeah no it that no. does not get better with no. age that problem <laughs> so yeah so yeah i i was a uh, i was i enjoyed their music and i admired the abandon with which they played Sure. You are of the opinion that Anthony Kiedis is a terrible singer, but he's a great frontman because he sings terribly with great confidence. Is that a fair characterization? 
I think so. The I mean, it's it's a matter of splicing words, but I wouldn't say he's a terrible (laughs) singer. I would just say he's not a singer. I mean, and that's what you hear on Blood Sugar Sex Magic is Rick Rubin saying, "Don't hold notes. Just just (laughs) cut off the notes. (laughs) Let them go." Yeah, that's good production. But but yeah, no, he's he is the right front man for that band, and it's a Mm -hmm. there are certain vocalists who we've all agreed to describe as singers and think of as singers, even though they're not. I mean, he's one, David Lee Roth, Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. Uh, Courtney Love is not a singer, but she's the perfect person for that band. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, and he does a kind of funk rap thing most of the time. And Yes, he does. I accept him. I I mean, I accept him (laughs) into my heart. I accept him into my pantheon. That's that's so generous of you. I can't believe I'm going to say this song title out loud again. But like, party on your pussy. Like, what you can admire about the Red Hot Chili Peppers is they're liberated enough to call a song that. Yeah, you know, and you can admire that even though you personally would never in a million years call a song that, and you cringed to even say it out loud. Like their, their aspirational freeness that you would ever you would never want for yourself. Rob, the thing that they did with Party on Your Pussy. Party on your pussy is a unique case because the thing Fourth about time, party yeah. on your pussy. Fail. Oh, oh, I'm a little winded, but see, it's not just that they called a song that; it's mm. that they said, "Okay, let's enter this into the catalog. Let's contact ASCAP. <laughs> let's tell the printers who are printing up the sleeve that this is what we're going with." And over the years, it's been changed. It's now called something like a secret track inside or yeah, something. Yeah, super secret something inside. Yeah, yeah but yeah. yeah, it's a commitment. Like, mm. you know, it, it's like we do with writing. Like, it went through all the edit processes right, and yes. survived this party on your Nobody pussy. was like, guys, yeah. maybe not. Yeah, yeah. They, they were so committed to the bit that they that they stuck with it. Absolutely. I Rick Rubin, of course, who produced Blood Sugar Sax Magic. I, I loved you said to me he has a way of making a band sound like they have more answers than questions. I thought that was a really good way to put it. Don't hold your notes is another good way to put it. Like <laughs> I, everybody's got a take on Rick Rubin and what he does or doesn't do. Yeah. You know, like what is your what do you picture when you picture Rick Rubin producing, at least in this era, at least this album? He's kind of the Steven Soderbergh of mm. album producers. When when I know Steven Soderbergh has directed a movie, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be taken care of. Right. Things are going to be well lit. Things are, mm. you know, the action's going to move along. Some people are going to be pensive in the movie, but that's okay. It'll it'll, it'll progress. It'll have a right. satisfying ending. And and I think Rick Rubin is kind of like that. Like you know, it's going to be kind of the polished version of what that artist is most right. of the time and hopefully it's not going to drain them in the process but he took the kind of uh still wild but maybe slowing down a little bit chili peppers coming out of mother's milk right because on that one they had like you know a sad song about Hillel slovak and it became a little more contained he said okay let's get the let's get the funk but let's know where the funk is going he's like mm. a practical dad And, you know, the thing about a practical dad, like if you're out with your friend and your friend's practical dad, you're going to have quite a bit of fun Mm -hmm. and no one's going to get hurt. Right, right. You're not going to have the wildest time of your life, but you're going to have a good time at the laser tag facility. (laughs) There's a guy in a beard in a corner just shooting people at random, just, just profoundly, serenely. You know, yeah. with purpose. But the yes. minivan is clean. You're going to get good pizza after. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you and your friends who got into the peppers through Freaky Styly, like by the time of Blood Sugar Sex Magic, you know, 91, they're huge on MTV. They're huge on the radio. They've yeah. crossed over. Is this a sellout situation in your mind? Kids don't have this concept anymore, but is it rankling longtime fans that they've reached this new height? I probably called it a sellout thing at the time, but it's a sort of self-serving use of terminology that that I think was employed back then. Because what it means is that 
the thing about you that was a little special and a little more cool is no longer cool because everybody else has it too. Right. And so as soon as the the band you love gets huge, then you're diminished somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. And so I saw it happen. I had friends who were very into uh, U2 from October Ooh. and Boy. And then, yeah. you know, before you know it, I mean, I lose them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've often said, usually when I just want to be argumentative, that REM stopped making albums after Green. Green was their (laughs) last album. They're like, what about Adventure and Hi Fi and Monster? I'm like, no, that was a different band. There's like 10 albums after that. Yeah. Yeah. Just clones of them, you know, just, just impersonators. Yeah. But those are like the the Star Wars prequels of albums to me. Oh wow, that's I know, yeah. which right, I don't right. actually believe, but it's just <laughs> but it's fun, fun to be. say. Yes, I was I was interviewing Jeff Tweedy one time, oh, and uh, he had a monkeys guitar, and I said, "Wow, monkeys!" <laughs> he said, "Yeah, the monkeys because they're better than the Beatles." Ah, uh, there's you, yeah. I said, "You really think that?" He's like, "No, I'm just playing the bit as a person who would say that." That's a serene dad opinion, right yes. there. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you, you were you're from the Seattle area. You were in the Seattle era area rock bands, like while Seattle was the biggest thing. While you lost Seattle yeah. to the world, in a sense, <laughs> like it is your city becoming a worldwide rock and roll mecca. Like entirely a good thing if you live there and play in a band there. It was exciting to watch, and it because I was actually from the Seattle area, that gave me a little bit of uh, smugness that I could sure. carry around. You know, when you can't generate your own self-esteem, a few <laughs> nuggets of smugness will sometimes do the trick. It works. It yeah. works in a pinch, yeah. And so um, I saw Soundgarden just before they got signed to A&M uh, when I was in, in college, and miraculous show that they did and you know i remember like on that same bill nirvana was supposed to open for soundgarden but they got a flat tire so they couldn't show Uh. up and so all all these uh these bands that were coming up that were then going out into the world um but they had been playing at the same really dirty tiny clubs that my band was playing so every band i knew was like maybe we're the next Soundgarden, the next Pearl Jam. Absolutely. Never factoring in, except they all have a lot of talent. <laughs> mm, all, that is, they're all really good. There's a differentiator sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, in your opinion, are there any good Red Hot Chili Pepper songs after Under the Bridge? You know, they've been a multi, what's funny about them as grizzled veterans is 1991 and 1991. They've been a multi-platinum band for the past 30 years since then. Yeah. Like, do they still got it for you in any sense? I think they've settled into the semi-contemplative mid-tempo uh, right. range. Sure. And, I actually have more sympathy and empathy for them than a lot of other bands that I was into when I was younger because I hear like Californication and I think, well, of course, you know, you can't, you can't play no chump love sucker when you're 50 (laughs) and you mustn't. And so I kind of, I, I feel them in my heart a little bit more. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'll hear the hits and it it won't upset me. What I what I like about Californication is you can just hear him find the rhyme scheme of like da 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 Asian, and you're like, mm-hmm. you know, w- once he has that, he's gonna knock off early from work that day because it's it all in. yeah, it's all just gonna work out. It is very funny that they're like, okay, we're settling down. Song has fornication built into this song title. Like just the relative <laughs> scale on which we're operating here is, well, is a very, very funny thing. Because at that point, you're still talking about sex, but you're doing it pedantically. Yeah, exactly. It's like, maybe I shouldn't have had all that sex. I would totally have it again. But like, I'm going to pretend to regret it for the same reason that I'm going to say the monkeys are better than the Beatles. How shirtful are they when they play today? Shirtful? Do they That's wear shirts? Word. I wow. can't imagine Flea wears shirts, but I wonder if no, the rest wears shirts. No, never. 
I'm going to guess that they don't, honestly. If anybody is going to commit to that lifestyle for life, if anyone's going to be able to do it, Iggy Pop is able to do. I do think it's Anthony, not the singing and the front manning necessarily, but on the shirtlessness scale, this is the one shirtless band of that era that may conceivably still and always be shirtless. Shirtless, yeah. Yeah. Shirtful. The guitarist of the moment might do some sort of black cloaky thing, and and that can be understood. Uh, It's a tradition with them. But yeah, Flea... It wouldn't be the same band if he was shirtful, I think. I, I agree. Absolutely, I agree. Like Scar Tissue from Californication. Like My yeah. Friends, a song I was listening to just today, like My Friends is very explicitly trying to do Under the Bridge again, and I responded to it very well as a teenager <laughs> in 1995. Like, Does Under the Bridge, have they carried that song, that idea, that sentiment forward on mm-hmm. songs, on albums since? Like, this is their lane. This is something that they can't conceivably do for the next 30 years. Is that what they've done, in essence? This is the blueprint for the rest of their career, this song. Yeah, it's. I think it's more sustainable. Whereas uh, if they were doing Party on, my, on Your Pussy. Six, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. We're back to, to have another party on your pussy. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do sequels. <laughs> right, yeah, reboots. Bar yes. mitzvah on your pussy. A multiverse. 15-year class reunion on your pussy. Oh, wow. Yeah, this, this is a rich vein of, of content. Absolutely. Um, this is a broad question, but as 90s alternative rock goes, is there a specific character to how it dealt with depression or mental health issues. Like I responded very well to Nine Inch Nails, to Nirvana, to Smashing Pumpkins at the time, but I was a mopey teenager and like my pain was valid, but it was, you know, it was mundane. You know, do you listen to Nirvana, to Nine Inch Nails, to Soundgarden, to Red Hot Chili Peppers now and think like, these guys are going through some issues, but they're doing it in a fairly healthy, constructive way. Like how do you look back on this era now and the way it dealt with mental health? I think that the terminology wasn't in place, but the openness was. And so you had you had these bands talking about the darkness in a way right. that was uh, not celebrating a kind of uh, mystique of it, like a Smith's or The Cure. But yeah, like Nine Inch Nails, Pearl Jam, uh, to some extent, on 10, were taking a look at that darkness as a first-person narrative um, and right. and what it was like to go through that. And it was startling at the time because people didn't know if the singers really meant that. And obviously, hmm. Kurt Cobain did. And that's what was so right. shocking. Like, you know, are you really in that bad of a place? And then he dies. And you're like, oh, he... Yeah, that was not for effect. That was coming from right. a real place. The actual song title, I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. It's like surprise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and I know you've talked about uh about Sliver on your show before, the the right. Nirvana song, which is yeah. <laughs> I actually I was working at a radio station in Seattle and I went out to the green room to get a glass of water and Chris Novoselic was there. He was being interviewed for a different show. And I said, Oh, well you know, thank you for all the music. I have a three-year-old and he loves Sliver. Like we, that was my son's favorite song when he was three. That's a great song to have as your favorite song when you're three. And Noah Selch said, oh, I'd be careful if I read it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You might want to think twice about that one. Um, but no, I think I think that the acceptance of that darkness and, and the acceptance of you know, whether you call it depression, whether you call it a disorder, that might come in later in terms of like, here's what I'm up against. Are you going through the same things? But right. that kind of, after the 80s, which had so much sheen to it, I think a lot of the 90s was digging down into the rough stuff of your own mind, of your own psyche, and putting that into lyrics and putting that out into the world. And I think that was one of the first cases of, you know, when those bands became popular, when those artists became popular, those were kids who were relating to what those people were saying in a way that they hadn't related to Journey or Tom Petty or any of these other acts from before. 
it's so weird to me now that I related so much like Billy Corgan as a teenager. It's like, what do yeah. we actually have in common? You know, I don't have any heroin experience. Right. You know, it's it's I'm trying, I can't figure out what the common ground was at the time, but it was so palpable to me, this sense that this person was like speaking directly to me. And I, I don't understand what it was about. I think a lot of the language was more unadorned by the time we got to the 90s. And sure. I mean, anytime I think of 80s music, I have a mental block is all I could think of is Rio by Duran Duran, oh. because that is the entire 80s to me. Sure. But, uh, what the Chili Peppers were doing, um, you know, even in the 80s and on into the 90s was was speaking from a, a pretty primal place. And, sure. you know, when when Soundgarden was was coming along, their early albums, too, were this, uh, you know, were very, very blunt about, mm -hmm. uh, this song is about sex. This song right. is about having sex with Kevin's mom. This, <laughs> you know. This, yes, yes. <laughs> Big, this song is called Big Dumb Sex. Big yes. Dumb Sex, yeah. And uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were so mad that they lost that song <laughs> title to Soundgarden. It was a right. rough day. You guys, we've been too subtle. <laughs> <laughs> too much poetry. An arms race. Yeah. Here comes Humpty Bump. You know, 10 years <laughs> later, they finally crack the code. Is, is there any other fairly big 90s alt-rock song that you feel like tackled depression, you know, or mental issues in a particularly enlightened way that has aged well in the way that it helps people, you think, process these issues? It's more of an album than a song, but uh, Ben Folds, Whatever and Ever, Amen, yeah. I think taken as a collective. And there, there are songs in there that are, you know, a little more vivid than others, but it kind of forms, and especially if you know about the recording of it and what went into that, it forms this kind of early 20s, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next kind of quality, right. stuck in North Carolina quality that I think mm -hmm. uh, works well. I think there's a, a fair amount from Uncle Tupelo and Wilco and Sunvolt that have a similar quality of like, maybe this isn't going to work out. Maybe nothing we're right. doing is going to work out for the best. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a fair amount that's in there. And that's in that's in popular music. I think in in hip hop, there was still <laughs> lots of optimism. <laughs> compared, right. <laughs> compared for a while. To, yeah, depending for, on who you were listening to. Yeah. yeah. yeah if you were hanging around Puff Daddy, there's plenty of optimism, I right. suppose. Right, right. <laughs> things are going to be great forever. Nothing will ever go wrong. <laughs> Jeff Tweedy is an interesting one to think about, like the way his fans have aged with him and the way his approach to, you know, mental health has changed. You know, you think like Summer Teeth is my favorite Wilco record and there's a ton of darkness. How to Fight Loneliness is such a, is a beautiful an honest song, you know, yeah. that you sort of take as a metaphor, but was probably not a metaphor at all. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think it's a mistake that, you know, when when 9-11 happens, like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is like the record everyone sees on. Like, okay, he knows what's going on. He can speak to the emotional tenor of these times. He's plugged into how we really feel about this. Like, he delayed that groundwork already. Well, and nobody who has dealt with substance issues and recovery issues, I don't know of anybody who's been through that who hasn't experienced depression like that right. tends to just go right along with it. And so you hear that, you hear that ache on like a uh, sky blue sky, uh, mm -hmm. handshake drugs, you know, some of those yes. songs of when he was, when he was using and then writing songs about using, there's so much more kind of remorse built into like th those yeah. might've been up tempo songs, but the remorse dragged the tempo right down. And uh, yeah, you really hear a lot of that, I think. Are you a karaoke guy? Rare. But I, I now that mm. the vaccines are going around, I, I want to get back to it. The last karaoke I did was on three cocktails and it was, it's the end of the world as I know it. And it wow, did not go well. that's a three well. cocktail song. No, that's that's a lot of words, John. <laughs> that's, that's just an awful lot of words. I was going to ask, like, I'm, I'm just picturing, for some reason I can picture you singing under the bridge at karaoke so clearly. Don't ask me why that is, but it's just, that's a pleasant image to me. This is the other gift that Anthony Kiedis gave me is I always thought it'd be great to be a lead singer in a band and I couldn't because I couldn't sing very well. And he showed me that that was not a requirement. That is not a requirement. And I've been in 
flawed, unsuccessful bands and then transitioning smoothly into sad dad bands. That's the progression. Uh, yeah. For many years. I've done some national covers. And um <laughs> and so so no, the the karaoke that I really want to do, because I do want to get back to it. I asked Matthew Cause of Not a Surf if he would join me, and he Whoa. said sure to do Popular by Not a Surf. Sure, that's you could really get into that with maybe four cocktails. No, if you yeah. did, if you did REM, if you did End of the World on three, you can do you can do Popular on three. It, it didn't go well. It didn't yeah, go well. I'm still <laughs> undecided whether I want to do the reading from the book part of Popular. Or just the kind of slogging along chorus part of popular. Once Either every two weeks. Yeah. It's, yeah. Or you can try and do both, but it's it's <laughs> tough to do both. This has been amazing, John. We've really run the gambit. We said a really lot of have. bad words a lot of times. You know, it's this has been <laughs> wonderful. I really appreciate you coming. Oh, love being here. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much to our guest this week, John Moe. Thanks, as always, to Isaac Lee and Justin Sales, our producers, and thank you for listening. And now, without further ado, here are the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Under the Bridge. See you next week. <laughs>